Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to hell, is what I'd be saying if I was Lilith from Diablo 4. You'd be um, saying it gonna... 33 episodes sooner. Exactly. We should, oh, we should have talked about Diablo on 66. We ruined everything. Actually, I blame Blizzard. They should have released it yeah. far earlier. Lazy devs. Um, Couldn't hit our exactly. deadlines. We'll be talking about some Diablo this week because young Matthew Perslow has been playing a bit of it, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's a good job you're checking now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before be we started recording, if you hadn't, wouldn't it? Oh my god, um, has he not played uh, it? <laughs> Matt Jones is here Hi. as well, and he's going to talk about some Spider Verse. Ooh, and so am I because I've also seen Spider Verse. And right at the end of this show, after feedback, we're going to do some Succession spoiler chat because I just, need, I just need to talk about Succession with some people, and you know, we'll do that right at the end. You'll get fair warning if you, for some reason, haven't watched Succession. So. Go away, watch all four seasons of it, and then come back to this episode. Exactly. Just speed through it. Let's just, uh, let's just, uh, should we get into it? I don't know. I just had a, a handful of uh, chili heat with Doritos, actually, to get me in the zone for this. At 11.53 uh, in the morning. Well, it's because I, I I'd normally have lunch at like half 12, but we're going to be halfway through recording. I'm like, my stomach's going to be going if I don't have something before we record. And I was like, do you know what? They were open. I thought I was going to have like six Doritos that'll keep me going I actually have a Doritos chili heatwave story I promise I, I promise we listeners we didn't plan this no um, no no t- after the live podcast that we recorded uh, mm-hmm. if you were there congratulations it was an incredible night really a lot of fun but after <laughs> it I leave and I go to a corner shop and I buy uh, some chili heatwave Doritos and I'm outside eating it I'm like these are mm-hmm. like really stale this is weird um, and so I I scan the packet and they've taped up the bottom. Like, it's clearly opened oh, no. up. And whoever ran the shop was like, no, you can still sell these. So I'm like, I, I finished them, obviously, because, you know, <laughs> uh, still chili heatwave Doritos, even if they're a little bit stale and gross. But I have to, like, contend with the idea that these have probably been on the floor, right? Mm, <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's happened to those? Well, I'm glad you're still here today to yeah. tell the story, because that could have gone I'm a stronger person for it. it. didn't kill me. Exactly. What's your Dorito story, Matt? Um... I think they're all right. Quite like uh, cool original. Yeah, oh, because you are a cool original man, aren't you? That's why. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some games because Chili Heatwave, that's got to be Lilith's favourite flavour, hasn't it? In Diablo. I keep talking about Lilith. Who is Lilith, Matt? Uh, Lilith is the, I believe they call her the mother of hatred. She is oh, technically the person. demon that I believe is that gave birth to Sanctuary, the world that Diablo is set in. Mm. which was designed, as the name suggests, as kind of like a sanctuary between the war of hell and uh, and heaven. Uh, but yeah, she's the main antagonist of Diablo 4. Nice. Uh, big Is the game demon good? lady. Uh, yeah, seems it. So what I will <laughs> good. say... let's move on. Is, <laughs> is as a complete uh, disclaimer before we get into this, as you might know if you've read a couple of other reviews from other outlets, particularly the Eurogamer review that didn't exist as of uh, I was reading yesterday... 
we didn't really get given a huge amount of time to play this game. Mm-hmm. Um, we were essentially given a week and then all of our characters were burnt in hell. <laughs> and now we had to wait until today for them to, to come back. We won't be able to play those characters again, so we've got to start from the beginning. Why do you so, think that is, by the way? It's do you because think it's a balance it, thing? Or? It's an MMO now, so right. therefore they've obviously kind of like burnt the ground back to ground zero so that everybody starts at the same time, right? And I guess kind of like when you are building an MMO, when when the servers get turned on for public, like it's from the mm-hmm. start. Um, so yeah, so I don't have any of the characters that I was playing. And also this, we were given access to Diablo right as fucking Tears of the Kingdom landed, <laughs> which as you can imagine for IGN was quite a big deal and meant that we were all working on Tears of the Kingdom stuff. So I have only really played as much as what some of you might have played in the beta. So okay. I've played all the way through to the end of Act 1 and a touch into Act 2. So if you played the beta, what I'm going to talk about is going to be very familiar. And hopefully the people out there that didn't play the beta, so these words will actually mean something like important and informative to you. I played most of that beta, so mm-hmm. I'm, kind of, I'm kind of where you are then. Yeah. So I do think the game is good. I do think it's a lot like Diablo 3. <laughs> okay. Um, which means that it kind of does feel like you are playing a very similar game. I, there's definitely tweaks. Like, I think the character building is much better in this one than it was in Diablo 3. There is a gargantuan um, skill tree for each of the classes, which has got, like, A, looks really nice, because each time you you select a skill, it fills, like, this weird pentagram-style arrangement with more blood, and the more the blood trickles down, it gets into different layers that you get to unlock new we skills. We like blood here. I more blood. think that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love when yeah. menus are a little bit extra. They've got, got a little bit of theming to it, so I like that. Um, and definitely compared to kind of like Diablo 3, it feels like there's there's way more kind of option in terms of the way that you tweak your skills and tweak your spells or abilities, whatever you've got. Uh, so I think you can really make a character reasonably your own. I do feel, uh, certainly at this point, I think the cooldowns are a bit long. Like, okay. Particularly which, like, which class did you play? As, so I've now played as Necromancer and Sorcerer, um, cool. of which I like them both equally. Uh, Necromancer in the beta, very overpowered. They've uh, They've stripped it back a little bit. But with a necromancer, you can summon a little army of the dead. And as you level like up, that, that army gets bigger and and more deadly. That was always is... what I played in Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I would get maybe 60 hours in and I would realize that I'm, like, not doing anything. Because like, the skeletons I'm... can just go yeah. and do everything for you. So I yeah. have to, like, talk myself out of playing, like, necromancer classes mm-hmm. now, even though it's my preferred one. Because I'm like, I actually want to yeah. play it. Yeah, like you were saying, Matt. Like it's not a ra- in terms of gameplay, by no means a radical departure from no. three or Diablo. Like if you have played a Diablo, you'll know what you're getting into here. If you haven't, you're essentially walking around these maps, if you're just holding in a button and <laughs> waiting for cooldowns to come back. Um, I've made it sound very simple there. Like it is not the most complicated game, though, but it is no. highly satisfying. That's the thing about Diablo. Yeah. That loop is so satisfying. That's the thing. Yeah, I think kind of like uh, from my experience, it it's just like not hitting, particularly with the way that its cooldowns work. I found it very difficult to get into a very cool rhythm where I'm like, okay, I know I do this, 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 and that creates a mm. massive kind of bang, and everyone dies. It does feel like I'm doing this, and then I might be doing a bit of this then I might be doing a bit of this. So I'm finding it a bit difficult to find the rhythm, particularly because some abilities, 
like have like a 30 second cooldown, like 35 seconds. And that's that a long, long time to wait. Yeah. Particularly for a game that is as fast paced as Diablo. So I think there's still probably some work to do even now we're at launch with that. I also, the dodge has got like, I think it's four or five seconds cooldown on it, which when there's an element of, I know it's not the same sort of game, but like the the action RPG elements and the top-down perspective does bring a little bit of Hades into it, right? And because you're yeah. dodging so much in Hades, I do think like, while I understand that the way that Diablo's combat works means that cooldowns are an integral part of it, I would like to see that cooldown be more like two seconds because it feels a long time between dodges. Do you think that'll be like a skill tree thing, perhaps? Like if you get far enough I I don't think so because the dodge is universal. Like every character has that dodge and it doesn't have any like bearing on its skill. Um, Maybe there's something in perhaps the rogue skill tree that could do something about that because it feels like more in keeping with their abilities. But um, certainly both the Sorcerer and the Necromancer in the hours that I've played of it hasn't had yeah. the ability to do anything about that. I will say, like, from the beer, I, I had a very fun time mm. with the beer, and like you're saying, I felt, oh, this is more Diablo. I feel at home here. It's, well, at home in one of the most horrible places yeah. I've ever played in. But the one thing that did surprise me is, and I was, you're actually not too much further, so I, my question is kind of invalid. I was just wondering about story because it did actually grab me story-wise in the beat. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm surprised. There's like an early like bait and switch that's quite cool, and like I was actually engaged. So I was in Diablo three, which I played quite a bit of. I couldn't tell you what happened. I was just walking through and smashing everything. Yeah, like the the stories have always been relatively simple. But um, if uh, if any of you managed to catch the article that I wrote last week about Diablo, um, I think it's got a bit of StarCraft in its storytelling, and I really like StarCraft II's campaign story. Did Protoss show up? Uh, no, not not quite. But what I mean by that is, so there's obviously a there's a higher dedication to the narrative side in this one, and so there are effectively. I guess three different variations of storytelling in the way that it shows that story. So you've got your standard bits of lore drops and conversation, which take place from the standard kind of top-down view. Um, But it has this really nice ability to kind of zoom the camera in and maybe lower it by a couple of inches, like on a pan. And so you do get points where, like, when you're chatting to people, the camera will gently drop down into the world a little bit and show you from a slightly more cinematic angle, I guess. But when things like really start to to get very narrative heavy, it does these beautiful transitions. Like there's a bit where you go into a uh, into a church, and if you've played the beta, you'll know this one. Uh, and there's some petals on the floor. Well, that's kind of like the petals are part of Lil- wherever Lilith goes. She leaves like these petals, which presumably are made of blood. And then the petals kind of like drift up to the screen, and they use it as a transition to bring the camera right down into the world. And now you're in uh, in a cutscene, like these really beautifully animated cutscenes that have got like because they're so dark and gothic, and the way that the characters move, they remind me a bit of stop motion animation. They've got that like freakiness that's inherent to that animation style, um, and that really allows you to get close up to the characters' faces and see how detailed this game engine is. Which reminds me a lot of how in StarCraft Two, when you'd go back to the um, like your main base, rather than it being an isometric RTS style, you were up close with the characters, and it allowed you to have a lot better kind of like interaction with those people. You got to know them because you're seeing them face to face rather than just through voice lines. 
And then obviously when the action properly kicks into fucking gear in this, you get a Blizzard CGI cutscene, like like how the game yeah. opens, which everybody's seen, I think, if you because that was revealed at BlizzCon, I think, where you know, mm-hmm. you've got these three people that are being sacrificed to bring Lilith back a lot from of wherever she was. Yeah, a lot of blood in this game. Yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah. that's the thing is kind of like compared to visually, compared to Diablo 3, which obviously had a slightly more kind of horror comic book kind of vibe. This is full kind of like relatively realistic looking graphics, very mm. heavy goth, lots of shadows, an awful lot of blood. Is it yeah. in the running for the wettest game of the year? Oh, it Ooh. might be there. The the opening, certainly the first cutscene where basically they create a triangle of, of viscera and have Lilith yeah. kind of come through it. That's very wet. There's not as much blood in the combat, but it's definitely whereas Diablo 3 is a dark fantasy, this is properly horror. Like people get their jaws yeah. smashed in and It could be it might be the wettest game until maybe Foam Stars comes out. Oh, oh yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, that's oh, what, what, what a damp game that <laughs> oh, looks. We've got the Square um, Enix showcase coming up soon. Maybe we'll know a little bit more about Foam Stars. <laughs> Who knows? Um we, I haven't really cause it's literally just launched this mm-hmm. game. So I don't know. If, obviously the thing that's played the last couple of Diablo games 3 and Immortal um have been microtransaction issues, have been store issues. Yeah. I don't know if those have come to light yet, if it's as anywhere near as bad so, as it has been. So certainly, uh, so I went on this morning because obviously the shop didn't open until today. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me a lot of um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla's shop. Okay. Um, and in terms of the... It's an awful lot. It's, it just seems to be cosmetics purely. So you go into okay, the shop thing good. and like a lady kind of summons up a load of collectible cards basically and arranges them in a deck in front of you and it's got that Fortnite-esque in that like there's a few days left on this shop and then they're going to rotate over later but it was basically a lot of kind of like cosmetic designs for each of your characters so the way the um, cosmetics work in this um, in the game there's a transmogrification system so in each town, there's a wardrobe that you can go to. And when you mm-hmm. go to the wardrobe, basically any item you find, and I think it's the majority of items that you find, because obviously it's a loot game. You know, every time you kill something, you pretty much get some loot. If you salvage it at the blacksmith, it takes the image of that and puts it in your wardrobe. So even if you've got armor that you really don't like the look of, you can go into yeah. that wardrobe and make it look like armor that you've had before. So you get to coordinate and diet and all of mm-hmm. that. And basically in the shop, you can pay money, probably more money than any people really want to spend because that's microtransactions. But if you really want to, you can spend money on very cool looking gothic kind of outfits and that will throw them in the wardrobe for you and you can put them on yeah. your character. But yeah, this time around, you're not selling them to other players. No, it's not. Like it's that not that fucking auction house that <laughs> three launched with, which like yeah. I understand kind of like the I can see why there were a bunch of people at Blizzard that were like, oh, people love the auction house in World of Warcraft. Yeah, that's like a big part of its economy. We'll do that for 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 Diablo. It's like the way that they implemented it. Absolute flaming disaster. Does yeah. it seems like we're free of that. Yeah, that transport thing reminds me because I'm currently replaying Cyberpunk. And uh-huh. let me tell you, I'm having an incredible time. Now my expectations are set Good, firmly at an 8 out yeah. of 10 kind of Deus Ex crossed with Fallout game. 
I'm having a fantastic time of it. And they have, I was, all the updates have happened since I first played it. So now there is the transmog system with the wardrobe, and I'm just like yeah, creating yeah. incredible mm-hmm. outfits. I'm looking amazing. I just romance Judy. I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> it it's did just, really feel like when you were playing Cyberpunk, it was just wearing short shorts and a and a bike helmet, right? Like you didn't feel whole, very the Cyberpunk the whole time. Yeah, exactly. yeah. you're always <laughs> wearing the ugliest shit. It's a bit like yeah. uh, I'm I'm about halfway through a replay of Cyberpunk that I'm doing very casually. And I got the Edge Runners jacket, but it's like I, it, it suddenly disappears the moment you get it right because mm. it's got too much loot. Really, it's got as much loot as a looter game. Really, mm. um, yeah. but yeah, anyway, it's it great. Yeah, but so's Diablo. So's yeah. Diablo. Yeah, no, I am. From, I am enjoying it. I'm looking forward to starting a brand new character <sighs> again. So the annoying today. thing I say the annoying thing is I'm off away now for two weeks, um, and I won't be able to play until I get back. Yeah. And the thing is, I'd want to play this game co-op, and I know by the time I get back, everyone's going to be miles ahead of me, and I'm just going to be. Like, I'm going to end up not playing a lot of this. Right, the monster hunter problem. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, the yeah. one thing that it does have is that kind of like I think it's definitely built for co-op. Like I'm not entirely sure if the combat loop is as strong, particularly in 2023 when it feels like maybe there's not been a huge advancement in its combat loop. But yeah. I think it works really well as a co-op game, and I've played it co-op uh, for a few hours. But it does have the pull of, it's obviously gone open world now, so there's no kind of like, um, each area flows into each other really nicely. So there is an element of exploration to it now, um, and those areas are really nice. Uh, And some of the dungeon designs have been quite good. I'm really pleased with, the. even though a lot of the dungeons obviously are randomly generated, as is the kind of Diablo style, it -hmm. still does that thing where it's got rooms that are, bespoke for those dungeons and those rooms will be in roughly the same place but the route between those rooms is different and the thematic sort of development of all of these dungeons does still feel really good and crunching your way through it and as say raising an army of skeletons or demolishing things with electric bolts and all the kind yeah. of good stuff that sorcerers do it's it, it looks pretty it looks vibrant while you're doing it and it's got that gothic element that when you light it up with uh, an electric beam or something like that it creates this really unearthly horrible mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it all yeah i'm kind of oh, i've just got to find time to play it because i'm still playing tears of the kingdom i'm now 70 hours into zelda and i oh, thought really? i was right at the end and then it kind of opened up a whole new like oh, uh, pathway for me and you, I was like, you've played like that's 20 hours more than i have yeah you i've are. been playing a lot of that mm-hmm. game no, I dare I'm big not into check it. how long I've played. I've, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think yeah. I'm at seventy. It was at over sixty-five the other nights, and I've definitely played a few hours in between. Mm. That, so. What I will say is that like um, Diablo is not a long game by any chance. Like no. I know someone that got as far as Act Four in the um, in the like review period that we had. Yeah. You know that kind of week, and if. They were only mainlining it because they were doing core story. So there's obviously quite a lot of side quests out there and obviously plenty of optional dungeons to dive into. But I think kind of you can mainline it probably in about 30 hours. Yeah. And it's all about the end game as well, Diablo, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I don't. Oh, maybe we'll check back in if any well, of One of the things that you can do, soon. not that this helps you uh, to begin with, Cardi, <laughs> but once you finish the game once, you can mm-hmm. upgrade any other character you make so that they essentially skip the campaign and go directly into That's endgame. That's cool. That's a really good yeah. system. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting stuck in, getting all bloody, killing some demons. Have you got a favourite demon? Uh, a favourite demon? I mean, Write in it... IGN underscore UK feedback <laughs> IGN.com. Favourite demons. Yeah. First ones that pop into mind, uh, Pyman from Hereditary. He's pretty Good cool. little demon. Yeah. And obviously you've got your classics like Pazuzu. Pazuzu, yeah. 
Pazuzu. So. Still we accidentally summoning them by mentioning him in this <laughs> I don't know. recording. When does a demon become a demon? I mean, mm. that's the question. Um, do you know? Do you know what one freaks me out? Have you seen Insidious? Like the red have, demon yeah. from Insidious. Ooh, He's weird. freaky. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Is the Babadook a demon? Hmm. Is he real? That's yeah. the question. That's the. Yeah, we all have our own demons, up. right? So that means that <laughs> he do. gets to be one of those. Yeah. Uh, heroin. Let's carry on. Let's talk about Sp- uh, Across the Spider-Verse, which has a heroine in Gwen Stacy. Um, um, oh, that was a, what a, what a segue that, that was. That in now. <laughs> oh, it was never going away. Don't worry. Um, I saw this last night. Matt, you saw this a couple of days ago. I Matt did. Jones, that is. Why is there two Matts? Very annoying. We need a new name for someone. Um, I never told I th- this story before, did I? That I entered... Oh, I'm going to regret this immediately afterwards. Uh, I started in an office that already had two Matts once. So oh, I had to be no. MJ for the entire rest of my career there. Which well, that's also very much like Spider-Verse. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll go with that. Because mm. um, yeah, we have one or two Matts in the US as well. Go, so many Matts. Um... Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, and the first part of a double bill that was going to be Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 and Part 2, but is now, third one's called, is it Beyond the I think that is the case, yes. Yeah. And I do think that you should know that it's the first part going in. Absolutely. I think that you will benefit a lot for like knowing that there will be a little bit of a, a cliffhanger mm-hmm. at the so end. So when I saw that last night, I was aware of that, and the person I was seeing it with did not know that and they're like this film's been going it's like two and a quarter hours it's quite long for an animated film and it keeps ramping it's um (laughs) it's the 10th longest animated film there we go it's the longest uh one from an american studio i told somebody that fact at the premiere and they were like all right (laughs) (laughs) someone read the doc um um, but yeah the person i was watching didn't know it was a first part and they're like it's been going along a while and it doesn't seem like it's ending and it just that is the one like i should say this now i absolutely loved this film to bits but that, if there is one slight thing you can say in a bit it is just it just does just end mm-hmm. and you're just like well i don't know how long we're waiting for the next part but, but um it does just kind of end but i'm not going into it that didn't bother me too much and i don't also I do, want to give it the impression that it doesn't resolve like i do think no that it has there is a resolution for like some of the characters that just yeah. is a very very prominent cliffhanger at the end of it so just be aware yeah. of that like, it's very much like an empire. It's like an Empire Strikes Back or an Infinity War. I just don't feel like. I feel like what those films do so well is they do kind of end on sem- well, Infinity War is definitely a cliffhanger. Empire Strikes Back kind of a cliffhanger, kind of like you know reaching the lowest point. And it's those films do a great job in the last like five or ten minutes of kind of slowing things down again and like resetting and being like here's the state of everything. Whereas this film is very much like it feels like you're still going a hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. right until the last three seconds. It's just like Dang! and then to be continued. <laughs> literally appears on screen. You're like oh it okay. It's like hardly <laughs> a criticism though to say that like I was enjoying the movie so much that I yeah. wish it continued, which exactly. it will. So. It didn't feel like two and a quarter hours. And my instant reaction is I'm still what I saw this less than twenty four hours ago. I was in in the moment enjoying it more than I enjoyed the first one. Like wow, strong. I I like the first one's a tighter film because uh, maybe they weren't ever expecting it to be this big a success and to do multiple ones of them. But just the sheer like I'm all for this is very much 
the God of War Ragnarok to God of War, and I realise some people, um, a lot, probably most people prefer God of War 2018 to Ragnarok. I prefer Ragnarok because it just kind of goes for it and chucks everything at it, and this is what this does. Um, I have, like, the, when I saw the first Spider-Verse, I was like, I've never seen animation like this. After this film, I was like, I have never seen animation like yeah. this. Like, it just takes it up a notch. Some of the stuff they're doing is just... the. Ma- the way they managed to make it feel like it's throwing everything towards your eyeballs, but at the same time, I'm never losing track of the action. It's is not unbelievable, despite so much going on. Yeah, yeah absolutely, it's absurd. The, the um, trailers have shown scenes of the like Spider-Man chase where there's like mm. a million things going on in the background, and in a lot of movies that would be really overwhelming. And yet, somehow yeah. you're like you're scanning around looking for cool stuff, but you're still uh, like necessarily paying attention to the stuff that's going on in the foreground yeah. which um, yeah it's really surprising and yet technically they brilliant. still have time for those like more tender moments like the softer moments like first five has spider-verse has you know when miles is talking to his dad where well, he can't talk to his dad through mm. the door because he's uh got his mouth taped up there's like it's got a couple of those scenes and they still just do a great job of the family side of it it's especially like, genuinely the Gwen really touched side. me in some like areas yeah. of this movie like some of that stuff, like the movie is kind of about um, like parents trying to do the right thing, but not necessarily knowing what that is, mm-hmm. or like trying to mentor in a way that's like some people are good at it and some people aren't. And it's really yeah. about like the lessons that people are trying to teach each other. Yeah. And uh, that like that kind of is in the first film, but this really doubles down on it. Yeah. Uh, it- and normally I would be like these soft moments of kind of, taking mm-hmm. away from the action which is what you want to see but i found those were kind of my favorite parts yeah i i just i to be honest, i loved all of it like and it is another like parallel i do see a lot of god of war ragnarok in this because it shares those similar themes of like parenthood and kids trying to like do it all themselves and try and be a bit um rebellious and like this is as much a Gwen story as a Miles story. This sure, one, it's still sure. Miles is still the lead, but like Gwen is like the like one B lead this time, I'd say. And her stuff's great. I just loved like I'm not going to spoil any of them, but the amount of just amazing little cameos and funny jokes that, that are in this film like are so good. Like people popping up all over the place, and you're just I don't. And it just for some reason it never. Whereas like sometimes the mcu now they like throw like i don't know how with a duck or someone your way and you, it's almost like a semi arrow it's like okay yeah we've seen it. in this it never once felt gratuitous it all just felt like yeah this belongs here yeah like yeah. everybody just, that's cool everybody that's silly kind of gets a moment where they're yeah. like actually taken seriously despite how like wild it is for them to yeah. appear in it i just i would watch it again now like i'm sure there's stuff i missed as well like mm. because there's so much going on like it, and i would encourage like people like see this in a cinema as well because it looks the just biggest screen so, that you can the I think. biggest screen possible <laughs> um you excited for it matt yeah of course yeah i i think um the first one is probably the best marvel movie we've ever had yeah, yeah. Like, i i liked I, guardians 3 a lot i, I know you two I, didn't I really get on with Infinity it War, but, but yeah 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 um so so yeah i'm actually going to wait a little bit to see when does it come Ooh. out 
today. Uh, today is, is it today? Recorded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I won't watch it for a little while because I'll be going with my partner, and she can't see it anytime soon. But uh, yes, I am perhaps <laughs> looking forward to it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it will get half spoiled for me before, but I kind of don't see a spoiler actually ruining this film well, for me. No, I don't, I don't think, so. think so. I think you could flat out know what's going to happen, and yet still it, like much yeah. of it is to do with that animation style and and, and seeing it unfold in front of you, right? So mm. I'm not worried about actually rushing out to see it, but I am looking forward to savouring all two and a quarter hours of it. Yeah. Oh, and shout out to uh, Miles Morales, who in his high school bedroom this time has a Sonya Mim poster uh, as a Spurs player. <laughs> that, made me, that made me smile extra extra oh, wide. Funny. And no, that's it's... why it's the best film of all time. I can't believe Miles Morales is a Spurs fan. <laughs> I can tell if it was him or Yankee, but either oh, way. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm into it either way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Just, a, just an amazing film. Yeah. I think I haven't really seen anybody talk about this, but it also seems to like be deliberately reckoning with the presence of police in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a real thread of at least two or like two characters that want to question what they're doing in their role as police. Um that seems like it is a question that was raised like during the production of the previous movie where like we kind of shifted how we think about the relationship. Uh, and now like the movie is almost thinking about that a lot. So mm-hmm. I would really love to talk about that in greater detail, but maybe we don't have the space for this today. <laughs> maybe, maybe not right now, but mm. I just want to shout out the spot. Oh, he's great. Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. So I, so he's actually a bigger part of the story than mm-hmm. I thought. Not so like I thought he was just gonna be like a fun little opening scene character. And he is. He's very fun. But yeah. at the same time, like, has as much as a man filled with spots can, has a lot of depth. He so, has um, my favourite line in the movie, which I'll do now because I don't think it's very much of a spoiler. But he <laughs> says, I've, I've got a hole in me and I need to fill it with more holes. Which yeah. is a joke that works on a literal and yeah. sub- subtext level. Yeah. And uh, also shout out to Daniel Kaluuya as Spider-Punk. He's very so good. Cool. He, he steals the movie, honestly. He's, he's really, really good in it. What a film. I love it. Um, yeah. Go watch Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I can't stress that enough, really. Um, I'm sure a lot of you were going to. Anyway, um, Matt, you haven't had time to see films because you're too busy playing games. <laughs> you just love playing those games, don't you? Oh, yeah. And you've, you've finished another one of those games, haven't you? I haven't finished it. No. You haven't finished no, it? Oh, no, you never finished games these days, do you? I, I'm trying to finish Zelda. Like That's the primary one, but... Uh, yeah. This is the my secondary game that I'm playing for at the moment. This game's like almost what thirty years old. Yeah, well, is it over? Well, uh, mm. originally no. thirty years old. Yeah. This is uh, the remake of System Shock. Uh, System Shock being a 1994 PC game from Origin Systems. Wow! And did you play it at the time? I didn't know. So, <laughs> so this is actually the first time that I am playing System Shock. Um, and you I, call yourself an immersive. I know fan. it. I know it academically. But <laughs> if anybody has tried to play System Shock, uh, mm-hmm. they will know that you know if you didn't play it at the time, it's practically impossible to play it right now. I mean, they've the people that have made this remake, which is a company called Night Dive Studios. They did a few years ago a remaster of well, they called it the enhanced edition of System Shock which added what many of us think is a very important little detail to a PC game, which is the ability to look around with a mouse. Because <laughs> previous to a couple of years ago, you couldn't even do that. Um, yeah. The original version... This is version, a classic. It is a classic. 
the original I'm version, sure. you can barely see what's in the environment because the hood is so fucking massive. Um, you have to look around with the arrow keys and walk with Waz pretty much. Um, it's got it's, like a menu covering the whole screen. Yeah. Up, like, right? Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's, it's horrible to play. This is a complete remake that basically when you look at it, you look. it looks like you're looking at a modern game. You know, it has the standard hood arrangement that we expect these days. Um, it has a gun in the bottom right corner. It's got enemies in the world. You move around it like normal with either a mouse and keyboard or a controller. It's currently only out on PC, but I believe it's coming to consoles at a later undetermined point. So it controls like a normal game. And because it controls like a normal game and looks like... I wouldn't say it's like a 2023-looking game, but it looks very nice. It's got modern mm-hmm. 3D graphics with a, what I'd say, throwback kind of visual design. Everything's got a slight pixelated edge to it. So it's paying homage with the visuals to the 90s, but it still looks like a modern game. Um, and because it looks and now plays more like a modern game, what you start to realize is that basically everything that's really good about its spiritual successor, Bioshock, was mm-hmm. already there in 1994. And that's been the biggest joy of playing this is I get a new Bioshock game that is much more like <laughs> Bioshock than I ever originally thought System Shock was. I knew there was a lot of the things that were created that lineage and obviously as the grandfather of the, well, not the grandfather of the immersive sim, but let's say the first game that really felt like it coalesced as this style of game. Um, it has way more of what I thought were Bioshock's additions to the genre than what it is. So essentially, you um, you play a hacker, a very 90s-styled hacker, um, and you are brought to this uh, space station called Citadel Station by a guy that works for the Trioptimum Corporation, which runs it, and he's like, I want you to hack the AI that runs this entire ship. And you're like, oh, okay, what are you going to do? So he pays you in a uh, like a super military chip. And he's like, I'll put this in your head. And in six months, you'll wake up and you'll have really cool powers. And uh, I just need you to hack this AI. So you hack the AI and then go to sleep for six months. And then you wake up and it turns out that AI has absolutely fucking obliterated the station. It has taken over and you basically need to reclaim the station and destroy the AI. And so that leads you, you go from deck to deck, solving kind of various objectives and puzzles, many of which bear a striking resemblance to some of the things you might know from Bioshock. (laughs) This is a story in which you have an antagonist that constantly taunts you as you go Mm -hmm. around the uh, station. That's Shodan, this evil malevolent AI that's turning everybody into cyborgs. Very Does much it have kind of the uh, the the notorious look at you hacker line in it, or is that yes. from System Shock Two? So, nice. So, so so it's got the one where um, it's also got the one where she talks about uh, hmm yes God that's a worthy title for me. Nice. Um, a lot of the dialogue is 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 taken directly from the script. I, for the most part, I think all of it is what they've tried to do is they try to make a very very faithful remake while making it play like a modern game. But things that you'll see in it that you'll you'll be reminded of Bioshock is the entire story is pretty much told through audio logs that are yep. really haunting and horrible and actually are useful rather than just the modern sense of the audio log, which is here's some self-indulgent lore to listen to. Here's, a, here's someone's diary. Yeah. No, the uh, <laughs> most pickups are colouring in the world, but um, an awful lot of them actually tell you what to do because there are no mission objectives, there are no uh, waypoints, there's nothing like that. You have to work out what to do and the audio logs are really the way that you learn it. 
Um, there is so Vita chambers, which we all thought were the thing that uh, was put in Bioshock because yeah. Yeah. because modern gamers were shit and couldn't deal with uh, actually kind of hardcore <laughs> combat. They're in this. You have, you have replicators that bring you back to life when you die and keep the what, progress that you've done. What is the core combat? Because like you, I know System Shop, but I've never played, like never mm-hmm. really properly looked at it. Um, I think I played a bit of two. Two is my, my memory. Very good. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. now, I think it's still um, pretty good. For one, what is like the combat? Is it melee or is it sh- a so, shooter? So, so you, you have some melee uh, weapons and you have ranged and the fundamentals of Bioshock are very much there. Like, the the lead pipe, which is the first weapon you get, mm. is massively important, certainly for as far as about the kind of like halfway point that I've got to. Um, you, I've swapped it for a wrench. The wrench in this game is the throwback to the System Shock 2 wrench. It's the bright yellow one okay. with the little beams on it. And it's got like um, a little knobble hanging off of it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's got to have, it's got to have that. <laughs> Um, but you do get weapons. Um, this has got, I'd say, System Shock is more survival horror than what Bioshock eventually becomes. So weapon conservation and, and ammunition and all of that, much more kind of a vital part of this. They've put the Resident Evil style uh, inventory in it. So you've got like a grid and very much kind of rotating things and Tetrising it to keep everything in line is a huge part of it. But like Bioshock... Every weapon has different ammunition that can be loaded into it. And the different ammunition is obviously important against different types of enemies. But the because of the ammunition conservation elements to it, and there's much more of a haunted house vibe to Citadel Station because it's very maze-like, very labyrinth. So you're going into lots of small rooms of very cramped corridors. So the fights are obviously a setup to deal with that more confined space. So you're pretty much only ever fighting a couple of things at any one go. So it's not got the bigger combat encounters that Bioshock has. You're mm. not fighting anything really like a big daddy. Um, and you don't have kind of like a dozen splices coming after you. But you can see the origins of Bioshock's combat system in the way that its guns work. Yeah. So do you think, after playing this, like Bioshock is still one of the greatest games mm-hmm. ever. Has it made you think of it in any different way? Not necessarily in a less light, like, not saying thinking this is as, more derivative. Yeah, it might not like, be as influential as we it thought it was. Does it make you think like, oh, they maybe it isn't as? I don't know. Like in a bottle, is it Phil? Not in a derogatory fill? way. I think for me, as someone yeah. that had always struggled to play System Shock because of the original design, yeah, it's really cool to have an accessible version of System Shock where I'm like, oh wow, like the things that I like about Bioshock. Uh, mm-hmm. It's obviously not as narratively focused. Bioshock is much more of a, a has a heavier narrative thrust, and every area of Bioshock is designed to tell this massive story. Um, and there's a little bit less of that in System Shock because it doesn't really have the there's no there's not an Atlas style character no. that's guiding you through the game. It's much more self directed than that. But to you know, I got to a point where you have to rewire a door, and it's like, oh, it it literally is the pipes puzzle from. Mm-hmm. From from Bioshock, it's just that I'm using a rerouter for for wires rather than um, rather than pumping fluid yeah. basically through it. <laughs> you know, hacking fluid. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we? And so, do we like think? I was. My cool. point here is is that it it's I get another Bioshock game is what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is it, because it's so similar? It doesn't mean that Bioshock feels like a rip off of what the original System Shock no. is because Ken Levine made System Shock 2. He obviously made the, um, the sequel to this and then went off and made his own version of a shock game. Um, 
I just uh, the, the there will be a piece in a couple of days on the site which is me essentially saying all of what I've just been saying. But I think it's an essential history lesson for anybody that loves Bioshock. I think you can go back and yes, it's not as even in its remake format. It's for a hard, a more hardcore player. It's got nothing that's going to guide you through it. You have to work it out yourself. Whereas obviously Bioshock has a giant arrow that hangs in the sky over you to tell you where to go. So it's much more hardcore in that old 90s PC sense. But a lot of what I love about Bioshock is here. And it's great to experience that sort of thing. But in this very lurid cyberpunk style uh, yeah. like environment. Well, it may even be the fact that the team remaking this were kind of inspired by Bioshock as well to make it even slightly more. I don't know if that's unfair. To, like, so, they may have even looked at Bioshock and been like, well, we can just kind of make it a bit more like that than it ever was. Certainly in terms of the... So when I say that there's the rewiring puzzles, mm. the the way that they were portrayed in the original System Shock is that in the bottom right corner, you'd have essentially a grid where you just like clicked on it and it, it mm-hmm. filled it with certain things. Now when you do it, you go up to a panel on the wall. It's very diegetic. And when you click on it, the panel folds open and it slides towards you. And in it, you can see all of these conduits and and the way that you click around and move things. So in that, the visual presentation of it is much closer to what Bioshock's visual presentation of that same idea is. So there is a certain amount of to update it and bring it forward you're also looking at the spiritual successor as much as you're looking at the origin point of all of this. So there is that. Um, but, you know, I've been playing the Enhanced Edition alongside the remake just to see when you know the layout of a room in the um, in the remake, it's much easier to then be able to navigate it in the old one, even though it's very, very archaic. Yeah. Um, and it is surprising to see things like, oh, was this added in for the remake just to make it feel more modern? And you're like, oh, no, it is in the original version. Um, I just alarmed basically at how ahead of its time the original one was. And by putting a modern interface and modern graphics onto those same ideas, it suddenly makes it feel like it is a thing of not necessarily 2023, but certainly a lot more modern than a 1994 game that's barely playable. Yeah. Sounds great. I mean, I'm, uh, if I have a fine time, I want to check it out. Mm-hmm. If you're patiently waiting for a new Bioshock or Judas, uh, yeah, maybe check out System yeah. Shock. Which, it's out now, is it? It's out. It, it is out now on PC. Mm-hmm. It will be out on console from what I understand a little bit later. I don't think there's any date on it. Uh, and of course, if all of this does sound a little bit too 90s, my other uh, recommendation, as ever, is Prey, which is the best <laughs> successor to System yeah. Shock. And sadly might be the last ever Arcane Austin game. Oh, it's not for I, that on recording that. So. <laughs> I know. Arcane will, will keep going. I Arcane no will survive. Yes. Um, I don't want to make go. that prediction because I'd hate mm-hmm. it if it comes true. No. Well, neither do I, but I said it. There we go. Uh, let's get on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. To some of your feedback, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Um, a reminder, we will be having a little spoiler succession section after these feedback emails, so stick around if you want to hear us talk about that lovely little family in New York. Uh, first, though... <laughs> none, and none of them ever did anything wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lovely people. Um, what's the first email? We've Matt? got a comment here from Jake Howry saying, Cardi mentioning he's never made it through Skyrim reminded me of my greatest gaming shame. I've never made it more than an hour past the prologue of Red Dead Redemption 2. I bought this game new, and in theory, they put in so many systems I've always wanted in an RPG, yet I can't get past the awkward control scheme that leads me to say, try and say hi to someone and then accidentally shoot them in the face. <laughs> Uh, it's sitting on my PS5 right now, taunting me to go back and play for another try. Any tips to help me clear this hurdle and finally move it off my backlog? Respect the C, Jake from DC. I'm choosing Ooh. to believe that's the DC universe. Watch out for the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say just get on with it, Jake. It's the best game ever made. Just do it. I was. I think the first time that I ever played uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 was around a mate's house, and it's the same button... Um, he accidentally pressed it and uh, dropped a grenade out of a car by accident, blowing himself mm-hmm. up. And we were like... That's not ideal. Yeah. We were like, just imagine in real life, like, <laughs> breaking a car window open and dropping a grenade and blowing yourself up and killing yourself by accident. Uh, it, it can happen, it can happen. <laughs> Games break your brain, though, don't yeah. they? Like, I, I, like I, I have been playing so much Zelda, and Ascend is such a ridiculously good ability that, like, I have been playing Cyberpunk and been like, oh... I wish I could just ascend to the top of the I thought you were saying in real life it'd be easier if you're <laughs> oh, like, oh, I need to get something from that. the attic. It'd <laughs> be amazing. Um, tips, however, I don't know. I never found it. It's not, the, don't get me wrong, not the most intuitive con- control scheme. can sometimes be a little bit fiddly because there are different options for some buttons, but I don't know. I, I think Red Dead actually probably has the issue that maybe not to the same extent as Zelda does in the... Um, it's a game that allows you to do so many things that it has mm. way more button, way more options for you to do than it literally has buttons on the controller. So it has to then seed things in weird places. Zelda is very much it seeds them in weird menus, particularly when you're trying to do the fuses. Yeah. Um, and I think Red Dead, because it needs to contextually add so many things to so many buttons and... I'm, I'm guessing is shoot on the same button as interact with a person. Um, no, I think one's R two, one's oh, no, I can't remember. It's been a been a couple of years since I played Red Dead, mm-hmm. but um, oh no, it's because you aim. You have to aim at the person with L two, and if you you could accidentally shoot instead of pressing like greet, <laughs> right? <laughs> similar, um, similar things. You have to log on to the people, but I would say get through that prologue because the prologue I like, but that game doesn't really get going until you do the first little like a robbery mission and then get and actually make camp near Valentine. That's where the game really hits its flow is when you like two hours in, I'd say when you get to Valentine and that's. So essentially I don't, I don't think Jake has any problem with the, the narrative. It just seems like the, the system and particularly the control Mm -hmm. scheme. So I guess what you're saying is persevere. I'm going to say it's persevere and maybe once you, I'm saying once you maybe unlock that 
the the key parts of the game and where it becomes really excellent there is like you almost kind of put any worries about controls to the back of your mind just to experience it but i never i I would never knock it for its controls i think just yeah and this is advice that is as good for uh red dead and uh tears of the kingdom and real life is to just find joy in your failures like just that's a really funny story that you accidentally shot someone when you wanted to say hi like play the game as if more of that stuff might happen everyone in that world is there to be messed with in red dead it's it's a very funny it is one of the funniest games ever made without ever well sometimes it's scripted to be funny but like you can you can make arthur the funniest man on earth if you really want to uh i love that game so much um other matt this one you email please this one is from sophia in sweden who says, hello, IGN UK team. Long time, second time, love the show, etc. The trailer for the new Transformers movie, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, appeared in my social media flow recently. I watched it and thought it looked really cool and interesting. This got me thinking about live-action Transformers movies of the past. The first few movies came out when I was young enough to find most movies interesting. I remember my little brother being obsessed with watching the movies again and again at home, which meant that I was forced to watch them again and again as well. And when he was old enough, our mom even brought him to the cinema to watch Age of Extinction when it came out. By this time, I had watched a bunch more movies and built a sense of what a good movie was, and suddenly the Transformers franchise was labelled as bad movies in my mind. I think this shift also coincided with with when the Marvel movies came out, Some of the Marvel movies were so funny and so well made that other movies paled in comparison in my teenage opinion. Or perhaps I had just become tired of my brother forcing me to watch the same movies over and over. Anyways, I'm thinking of going to see Transformers Rise of the Beasts in the cinema. Partially because it looks cool and also for old time's sake. But I want your opinion. Are any of the Transformers movies (laughs) any good? What do you think about Transformers Rise of the Beasts from what you've seen? Thanks for making a very entertaining podcast. Respect the sea from Sophia. I will say when I was in Leicester Square yesterday for Spider-Verse, they already had some Transformers, some big ones there. Oh, I think I've Optimal seen... Prime and the big gorilla you one. Optimus. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Optimal Prime, oh. I believe. It was Optimal Primal. I don't know. Optimus, Optimus Primal. Primal. Yeah. yeah. Optimus Primal. I don't know any of the Beast stuff. Um, I I still think the first Transformers pretty good. Yeah. The first one's I, I, still I an enjoyable the original film. animated movie. <laughs> uh, well, that, that one, also enjoyable. But no, like the first Michael Bay one, it's, it's pretty good. I, think I haven't seen it from, in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I think from probably a, a, now we're all older and understand uh, that certain shooting techniques of Michael Bay are maybe a little bit seedy. <laughs> there is some yeah. unfortunate uh, things for Megan Fox, but um, <laughs> I think as like pure action adrenaline, I do remember enjoying the first one and thinking that there were some really smartly done big action sequences that felt very... Obviously not the same as Terminator 2, but it got that kind of T2 energy to it. Just a relentless, non-stop, kind of crashy-bashy. Yeah. My memory is is that things go significantly downhill from that point on, and I only watch the next two. <laughs> yeah, I think I only watched Revenge of the Fallen, then Dark Side of the Moon. I definitely didn't see Age of Extinction. I didn't see the Wahlberg ones, basically. No. I was like, when... um. I was like, if Sam Wiki's out, then I'm out. That's <laughs> basically what I was thinking. Uh, nah. I, yeah, I, I remember the third one, Dark Dark. I wouldn't say Dark Side of the Moon, it's just Dark of the Moon. Yeah. Um, that I just remember being bad. 
like was that's about three hours long, isn't it? And I think it was just relentless, yeah. like relentless and very difficult to track the action. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that the first one felt a bit more. The way that the camera moved with obviously an awful lot of CG, I felt like you could figure out, like you could see what was going on, and there were some very cool moments where you'd have like them transform in midair and then drop down onto things. Whereas yeah. the second one, I remember kind of having a lot of really well tracked shots, and then it started to get a little bit more confusing. And by the third one. I remember it just being like a whirl of metal and not really understanding how to follow the narrative along I've with just, the action. I've just looked up that third one, Dark of the Moon, yeah. when it released, the fifth highest grossing film of all time. Fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus. There we and go. it deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I can't say I have a lot of love for the Transformers films, but I do remember enjoying that first one. I think the uh, first one's got slightly less of the annoyances. Like, I think I can remember audibly groaning in the cinema when in the second one the second one's where they go to like egypt is it and yeah, they have the pyramids yeah they have like a robot that's got that's got balls like they're made out of wrecking balls and they hang between <laughs> its legs i mean that and sounds incredible sounds yeah. Yeah. Oh, no no um, I, uh, I used to watch the uh, beast wars animated show and i remember really enjoying it as a kid mm-hmm. so this one has oddly captured my attention just because nostalgia but it has made me wonder whether or not I should go back and revisit that if, like, if it was actually any good at the time. Yeah. There we go. Transformers. Yeah. Beast Wars is from that's from the CG era. Yeah, of exactly. So it, it looks wonky. If you've I was going to say, <laughs> like, does it just look like reboot? Can you remember reboot? I do remember reboot. <laughs> it was. I think it might have been just after reboot, mm-hmm. if I remember right. So maybe they figured some stuff out. But I loved, I remember being a kid and thinking it was cool that an animal was a robot. Mm-hmm. Like, that is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen the Rise of the Beast trailers, and yeah, it's not doing a lot for me, I won't lie to you. Yeah, uh, I've not watched it. Is Anthony Ramos, is he the lead in this Yeah, one? he's now, yeah. It, it just seems bizarre to me that there's so little uh, continuity between, it feels like there's no continuity between any of the Transformers films yeah. and what their cast is. Since. I mean, this one isn't Bay as well, is it? It's um, Stephen Cable Jr. did Creed 2, surely, if mm-hmm. he's directing it. Um, what I will say is there, is there is one Transformers film that I can genuinely absolutely say is still good and I would recommend it, which is Bumblebee. Cause that's, yeah, it's all right, actually. It's yeah. Travis mm-hmm. Travis Knight, isn't it, who's one of Leica's yeah. directors um, who mm-hmm. did it. And Hayley Steinfeld is good, and it felt a John lot Cena more... John Cena gives a pretty good performance. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it felt like a good, heartfelt Transformers film rather than purely dedicated to the smashy-crashy. Yeah, there we go. God, I, I forget so that I really films. liked that, actually, Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, was just, it was just good, like, yeah. really good. <laughs> Lovely. Good stuff. Good. I wasn't expecting a Transformers chat today, but here we are. Um, I've got an email from Tom Meller. He says, all right, gang, I've been with my girlfriend for just over two years. In that time, I've been trying to get her around to the idea of playing some games, and she's shown a genuine interest in getting involved with one of my passions. The Last of Us was the first game I suggest we play together. It's my favourite game of all time, and I genuinely thought she'd love the story because she's a sucker for anything vaguely dystopian. The problem came when I suggested she watch me play it. <laughs> I appreciate this wasn't the idea she might have had in mind when I suggested we played together, but knowing her as a person who doesn't like being bad at things, even on the easiest difficulty, I knew she'd play Get Frustrated and very quickly give up, missing out on the incredible narrative of the game. Anyway, she was having none of it, and the idea quickly died. I mean, to fair, I'd think watching anyone play a game. I know people do it literally for hours on Twitch, um, 
but I, I, I don't understand watching someone else play a game, personally. But there we go. Uh, this was until The Quarry came onto PS Plus Extra. It was perfect. Very simple mechanics, juicy bit of horror, the fact we could influence who lived and died. She loved it and played through most of it herself. We've gone back to work through Until Dawn, and whilst it's a little different, we'll be doing Detroit Become Human next. A game that actually me and Matt have a, have a little bit of a soft spot for, yeah, despite... Like obviously having some issues (laughs) Um, but there we go problem is i don't really know where to go after that we could do the dark pictures anthology but i've heard it's rubbish i think it's a mixed bag i don't they're just not on the level of until dawn and neighbor was the quarry if you ask me but there we go um then there's the walking dead games but i think i want to start progressing her up through the ranks of complexity i just can't think of what would be next level before you get to a god of war but there, that is a big step from the quarry to God of War. Um, my question is: Can you think of any games that are more complex than, than Until Dawn, but less complex than the God of War? That are cinematic, have at least a half decent story, and ideally, there's a bit of death in there. There we go. We're looking for the stepping stone for I mean, someone, anyone that's new to games, basically from like a choice-based Telltale game. I think. I something. think the answer's there it's it's the walking dead because the walking dead increases in complexity as it goes on the final um Mm -hmm. season of the walking dead is played from a third person resident evil style perspective and there's a little bit of easy combat in there so if that's the sort of thing i would use that as the next step play through all of that to get um to get your partner to that level and I then think maybe think of what the next... Play, even to the the end of the first season, it starts ramping up in complexity mm-hmm. because there's that like quite time-sensitive triggers for some of the end of it, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think like even if you played that first season and then were like, oh, this is cool, which yeah. you won't because the second season's pretty good too. I but, think uh, that, yeah. those are very solid choices. I'd also, I'd always suggest someone that's relatively new to games check out What Remains of Edith Finch just because that is a game where you're mostly walking around and then there's you know some of the memories have some gameplay mechanics to them yeah. but also, they ease you in and it's just a phenomenal story and it does have quite a bit of death mm-hmm. if you want but that. from a newbie's perspective as well is that edith finch's first person right and yeah as people that have played games for 30 years or whatever it's easy to think that first person is easy but for people that have never played games before mm-hmm. the kind of controlling the two axis at the same time on the, a gamepad is a fundamentally weird thing for people that strange. haven't grown up yeah. on them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think Edith thinks she's probably a good shout there. Yeah, and um, I know you're a big uh, Life is Strange fan as well, Matt. I, I do. Yeah, I, I think that's not that won't ramp up in any sort of difficulty no. at all. But I do like those stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the answer that I give to all of these questions, but it slots in so well. The answer, the the game that you're looking for is Yakuza Like a Dragon, hmm. which is got movement, but you know it's in a, mm-hmm. a 3D perspective. Uh, it has got like action and death, and actually a really functionally good story. And all of the combat's turn based too. Yeah. So. turn based is always a good step. If you really want to jump in with Persona Five, <laughs> I did think about like uh, either like the Phoenix Wright games, but they're maybe a little bit less cinematic, uh, mm. or Danganronpa, which has a pretty cool murder mystery story. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe it's not the amount of complexity. Yeah, that's it. and it's a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. You're taking a leap there mm-hmm. with that one. But yeah, I'm trying to think of I some think. some horror games that have got that that are a little less in that are intense, but intense from a cinematic perspective. Maybe layers of fear, something like that. Yeah, yeah. The Bloober games, I think, are, are less kind of focused on the actual running away from shit, right? 
Mm. Um, Stanley Parable. Yeah. Horror, yeah. horrible from a different perspective of yeah. purely just <laughs> just horrible jump scares. But but yeah, yeah. Most horror games do tend to require that you actually have like a high level of dexterity to actually do the escape. But um, I'm sure. Would amnesia be? I think there's bits where amnesia know, gets amnesia a bit games. too demanding, but bit kind too of, wet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah, and a bit. I was going to say Alien Isolation, but that's actually you've got a, that's quite gameplay heavy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. Uh, if it didn't, I'm very sorry. There you go. Um, I, I, like, I like Yakuza, but I don't like it enough. <laughs> like I recommend <laughs> it every time, and yeah, it's like I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com if you want to write in anything uh, I won't be on the next couple of episodes so you know don't ask me anything ask these guys <laughs> whatever you want get as weird as you want while I'm gone I don't care Yeah. Um, I think we'll talk about The Flash next week oh, oh there uh, you go yeah. I've seen uh, it I'm not going to tell no, you anything there we go tease what a tease mm-hmm. um, what we can talk about now though is Succession. This is your warning. If you haven't watched Succession, turn off now, because I'll probably put in, I don't know, a soundbite of one of... Put the theme tune on. I'll put Elton the OG in between. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put on on something. Something Succession-based. But yeah, thank you for listening if you're not into Succession. If you're into Succession, we'll be back in a second. Woohoo! It's a good television show. <laughs> I cannot believe that they stuck the landing. Like, uh, see, uh, I, I had full faith. That's the mm-hmm. thing. But still, when they did it, I was like, "Yes." Do you, yeah, do like, you know why I think this finale is 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 what it is is good? It is. It's because it's the finale that I don't know if you if you agree, but it's the finale I saw coming from the moment the game f- yeah. from it started, and they didn't divert and try and do something clever or sneaky. Yeah, like, like, it did exactly. the ending that this show needed, which was mm-hmm. everybody fucking lost. Yeah. I wish I'd told someone, because, like, I was convinced it was going to be Tom, mm-hmm. and, like, I, I didn't, you know, I don't want to be like, I knew it all along, mm-hmm. but, like, I, like, a few episodes ago is where I really started clocking it, so and I was like, I this is I, what's happening. I, I didn't necessarily start out this season thinking that Tom was going to become the CEO. No. I just I just knew, and I knew from the way that this show started back in season one, that none of these people could succeed, because even though I think Succession does a good job of... It's a show that doesn't really show its hand in what the show's actual politics are. It likes to Mm -hmm. keep a bit of distance. So it can allow Shiv to be this weird sort of like she's Democrat but not and allows Roman to be a weird Nazi boy and stuff like that. But it never being a Democrat is kind of influenced by the fact that she is a billionaire as well. Like it's Mm -hmm. purely performative when it comes down to it. But the show very rarely plays its hand right. But there's always a sense that like the show it is critical and so therefore the show comes from our styles of perspective so it's like it's never going to let any of these people get their own way because the show fundamentally understands that these are all horrible people and so i think i've always known and always had faith that the show would deliver an ending that meant shiv roman or kendall were never going to get what they wanted Um, it was probably only at the start of the final episode that i was like oh if shiv isn't getting what she wants that means that it feels mm-hmm. like it's going to be Tom, but I do love the Lady Macbeth final shot for her. Oh, oh it's oh, very, very good. 
the um yeah i started clocking it yeah once it was they would they started discussing the us ceo mm-hmm. and i was like that doesn't mean it's you yeah <laughs> that's like that was very like but again it makes sense right like tom is yeah. so easy to manipulate like he has been the person that is will yeah. mold himself to whatever someone that can get him where he well, wants to be. It's what Shiv says just before he gets it, is like, he will suck the biggest yeah. dick in the room, yeah. which is what he will do. And, and I yeah, love just... that the scene where he's interviewing for the position of the CEO, all he thinks he's doing is just trying to keep his existing job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, he doesn't even think that he's in the, the road for it, and yet he gets it. Um, yeah. I, I clocked it too during the funeral and a lot of people mm-hmm. said this too I don't want to seem like I'm a genius but it, it um, I wish I am of course but <laughs> I'm modest too um, it's exactly like the first episode where uh, Kendall goes to Logan's birthday party mm-hmm. but Logan mm-hmm. is disappointed by that because he's not putting the merger first but Tom doesn't go to the funeral because he's working right. which is him putting work first which mm-hmm. means that he's the guy that should actually be in the position yeah I just don't know who like who they're giving awards to for this show because this is going to sweep the acting awards yeah. I think and I just don't know who like out of Kendall and like for most of the season I was like oh this is Kieran Culkin as Roman he's mm-hmm. been unbelievable that last episode Kendall was just off this like Jeremy Strong is yeah I know he's deeply method actor and I don't actually from all the interviews he seems perfectly fine to me yeah. and but people seem to like to have a go but like um, in that same episode phenomenal. we get him about to throw himself into a river and also <laughs> uh, meal fit for a king yeah yeah it's so good. like it's just so Godfather at the end as well and that's what I love like it is just like yeah. They've watched The Godfather Part 2, is what I'm saying. Like, and if you haven't, do yourself a favour and watch The Godfather Part 2. Yeah. The stuff with Kendall, the thing I love about so much about that finale is that it, not everything comes back to this, but a significant part of that final story arc is it brings it back to the idea that, that Kendall's a child. Like he is oh, yeah. so child, and I love it that they start to set that up with where they're at the swimming pool, and he's like, "He promised me when I was seven years old that I get it," <laughs> and then when they're actually having their fucking wonderful fight in the in the yeah. boardroom, and they're they're smacking each other about, he's just like, "I'm the eldest, eldest boy,", boy. <laughs> and then he shifts just like, "No, you're not. No, you're not <laughs> even the eldest boy." Because everyone <laughs> forgets about Connor because oh, Connor's yeah. so forgettable. Uh, but yeah, that that bringing it like like Kendall was never gonna get it because he's just a kid. Like he's never grown up. He's so immature, and you know the where it all builds on goes all the way back to season one with all of the mistakes he made with a waiter. The fact that he's a killer, and I love how like a child is just completely like, no, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. You know, you've got yeah. it wrong. Nothing about I this. I love that it's he has an excuse tr- already prepared in his head. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's decided to think that. He believes yeah. it by that point, which, man. like In the end, kind of, Roman is the smartest one because he realises... He's the one who realises, oh, it shouldn't be us. Yeah. We're idiots. Mm-hmm. Like, and he never... And you kind of see the relief on his face at the end when he's drinking Jerry's drink as yeah. well, which is a very... Oh, every detail is so good this show. But, like, yeah, you can see, like, he's kind of relieved, mm-hmm. I think. Like, he didn't really ever want it. I don't think he just felt like he needed to want it. The, like, I don't know. The, the great thing about, obviously... Even though Logan wasn't in much of this show, like it's the spectre of Logan that that hangs mm. over all of this, right? And kind of like like you say that he he knew that he was never going to get it just because of the way that he recognizes that their dad toyed with them and mm. and sort of pulled them to this place. And I think 
that sense of Roman that's had for like the last two seasons of this desperation. Like, no, I'm the actual kid that gets on with dad. Like I'm the one he sees, but ultimately that kind of sense of being the good kid to the proud father was always the thing that was like layering over. He knew that none of this was going to work. Yeah. I I just loved there was a show full of just ridiculous things happening all the time, but never, never reached that point of implausibility Mm -hmm. to me. I was like, well, that would never happen. Like the thing that, Everyone was like, a lot of people were convinced, like, it's going to be Greg. I was like, no, it isn't. It makes absolutely zero sense. It makes zero sense. Everyone's like, Game of Thrones kind of did that, but like, Game of Thrones didn't really do that either. Yeah. Like, but like, Game of Thrones just... fell into doing it. They didn't decide yeah. that was the thing that they wanted. Like, it would have made zero. That would have been like, if it had ended with Greg, like, Matson choosing Greg, it would have been like, well, that makes zero sense. He thinks everybody he's an idiot. He doesn't like Greg. There's only and Tom he's an that idiot. likes Greg. Exactly. Like, oh, it's just the it's best just, scene. Um, of the episode as well is the uh, dinner party that they're watching on a video mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they get to see Logan in a way that we as viewers have never seen him like diegetically in the show he's never shown them any of the like half the kindness of the people in that mm-hmm. room and it's interesting and it, that yeah. Connor's at that dinner as well exactly. right? Like he's the only son that was invited to that but he's mm-hmm. never in a position to actually be like useful or mm-hmm. to be leveraged against for uh, yeah. Logan, right? Like, mm-hmm. but the other three can actually be manipulated. Oh, it's great! It's really good. Yeah. And also, oh. like Connor, he has that line in a previous episode about how like Logan never liked him, yeah. and it's like mm-hmm. that's why Logan can actually let him get close because he does like him, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. doesn't. Sorry, yeah, God, uh, his good. Connor and Willa. What a, what a sad story. <laughs> I, I love that, like, maybe the fascist isn't even going to get elected anyway yeah, as well. Yeah, you do. Which means yeah. that the, I like, the kids have had no impact oh, that, on the world that, at all. That line where, where um, like, is it Rome that's like, oh, so the deal, you know, we're, we're cool, right? And he's just like, oh, maybe, we'll, we'll, we'll see, depends on kind of how things... And it's like mm-hmm. that classic fucking right-wing politician thing of, like, <laughs> you run on all of... I mean, obviously, a lot of politicians on all wings do this, <laughs> but the amount, all the promises that you do in the pre-election, and then it's like, oh, probably not going to live up to anything yeah, that I told you. Yeah, none of that'll actually happen, yeah. I just love when, like, yeah, Connor and Will are already looking... Like, she was basically looking forward to being, like, away for three months. It's like, oh, the three-day itch. <laughs> Will- Willa is the winner in this. She gets Logan's house... She gets to put all of her cool furniture in it and her husband fucks off for like six months. (laughs) Yeah, I love Will. Unless he doesn't, which is uh, (laughs) like, it fails for her, but it's good for society generally. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I'm going to miss this show, but I'm just so glad it, it ended perfectly. Like, it's as good a finale, like outside of The Sopranos for me. Like, I'd put it up against any, like, show ending mm-hmm. episode i think and i just did a spare of the moment like tv rankings thing last night of my top 10 shows i was like i slid it in at four i was like that f- i feel good with that like at times this was the best thing i've ever watched but yeah i, I do think so like um fans so at home good. might recognize that barry also ended uh on the same evening and i don't feel as compelled to talk about that one that well, one no. just kind of ended so so you we know, won't spoil barry but what i will say is like i i was compelled by the first couple of episodes of barry this season but it didn't go in the direction i wanted it to and ultimately you know the, the creators can do whatever they want and i'd always stand up for creators doing what they want but for me barry is a three season show <laughs> <laughs> I think this like season, Dexter's I a really five enjoyed. season show, right? Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed this season of Barry, but it's still it's not on the same level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 
TV. Like, that's all the good TV. Like, what are we watching now? Well, well nothing, because the writer's strike. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, that's like, true. Maybe got, so everyone looking forward to the <laughs> Idol starting on Sunday? That looks like an absolute Is, is this the one mess. from the Euphoria guy? Yeah. This, this... I like Euphoria, but this looks... This sounds from everything like a, I've read. Uh, an absolute disaster in the making. This does yeah. not sound like I have some good. morbid curiosity. Um but yeah, it sounds quite distasteful. But who knows? Maybe a curious watch still counts the same. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, God, Succession will miss you. What's he going to do next? More Peep Show? Bring Peep Show back. Um, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. There's not more. I just, I just told myself it's going to be more Succession. There's not. It's all done. You planning a rewatch? Uh, do you know what? I need to read I've only watched the last episode once I need to watch it again it's essentially a film so I'm just going to stick it on at some point this weekend I think but yeah Succession we'll miss you uh, yeah now Another... play L to the OG okay now we'll play <laughs> L to the OG goodbye everybody bye see ya see ya L to the OG dude be the OG A N he playing playing like a pro L to the OG Dude be the OG A-N he playing Playing like a pro A1 ratings, 80k wine Never gonna stop, baby, fuck father time Bro, don't get it twisted, I've been through hell But since I stand dad, I'm alive and well Shaper of views, creator of news Father of many, paid all his dues So don't try to run your mouth at the king Just pucker up, bitch, and go kiss the ring Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season Two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you, and let's make Season 2 even more memorable together. <laughs>